So I was driving in to church this morning, and my Dwell app did give me a notification. And it said, have you listened yet to today's daily reading? And it was awesome because it was the introduction of my sermon. Like, very often I introduce my message with a story of my children or, or something that we've seen, kind of popular culture or whatever, news headlines. But today I'm going to introduce this message with this passage of Scripture. Anyone see the daily reading or the daily listen? The daily listen, really, on the Dwell app this morning. It's First John chapter 4. Let me read, starting in verse 4. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we may have eternal life through him. Now, I could read the rest of the passage, and I intended to, but I'm going to just kind of point out, where is John getting this from? And this goes on and talks to kind of the theological foundation of what God has done for us, for us, the love that he's shown to us, and how we must love in response as we are being crafted and formed in his image. But John was there in the upper room in John chapter 13 when Jesus washes the disciples' feet and says, I have a new command for you, a new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. This is John 13, 34 through 35. As I have loved you, you also must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Beautiful passages, right? Beautiful text of Scripture. Beautiful picture that Jesus paints for us. But can I say that these passages can also be problematic for us. It's not problematic because it's not desirable. It's because it is so desirable, this beautiful picture of loving one another in the church that becomes problematic because depending on how you interpret or your expectations that are built upon these passages, it can lead us to being disappointed in the reality of church. It can lead some to become disillusioned when they experience some of the reality of church. And when I mean reality of church, I mean the messes that take place in the faith community? Or is it just me that notices the messes? That's why some people say, man, I love Jesus, but I just don't know that I like the church. And they try to live the Christian life apart from the church, but the church is God's idea for his people. It's his body. It's how we grow because of one another. And I'm convinced that even the messes are part of that plan. But yet, we have this picture, and sometimes our expectations are it's going to be some utopia, some, I don't know, we just sit around and kumbaya, my Lord. I don't know. I just, that's kind of the, the, the expectation sometimes we have. And when it doesn't happen, we find ourselves saying, well, I don't know that I want to get engaged or involved in church life. I'll sit in the back row. Not, no judge, I'm not judging anyone in the back row. I'm just saying, I'll sit through a service. But if I can keep people arm's length away, I can stay out of the messes. And because Jesus says we should love each other, the best way I can love people is to stay away from people. At least hold them arm's length. Disappointment and disillusion with the way church actually fleshes out. Because we have these beautiful passages of loving one another. Now, if you read these passages and in the back of your mind you hear Barney, the purple dinosaur, singing, I love you, you love me. We're a happy family. And if that's like, the, like the, the, the background music to when you read this, then you're in danger. You're in danger. We all know the church can be messy because we all bring our baggage to it. See, I'm convinced, if, 
If I were to do your premarital counseling, I would tell you this. I, I'm convinced that marriages don't have problems. People have problems, and then they get married. Same thing with church. We bring our stuff, our baggages, our issues, our, our quirkinesses into the room. I like to picture Jesus as painting, but I find that my reality is not quite what I had hoped Not quite what I thought Jesus meant. And loving one another, to be honest, is, we all know, far easier said than done. So what are we to make of these messes? What are we to think or to do when it comes to our experience in church not really lining up with what we expect when we read this by this? They will know you are my disciples, that you love one another. Do we just write off Jesus' words as he's some idealistic dreamer? But he doesn't really know the reality. I mean, do you dare say that about Jesus? This series is about the urgencies that I believe and am convinced um, are helping set the direction as we move forward in this new year. And as I described last week with a little bit of cheesiness, they all begin with the letter C. Or I just forced the letter C upon the three things. This week would be community. We are going to take steps towards fostering community here at Radiant, but can I just warn you, my sermon so far doesn't sound like I'm fostering community, doesn't it? Does it? It sounds like I'm going to tear down. What I'd like to do in order to move forward in community together is to tear down some of the expectations and some of the ways that we think of community that often lead us to disappointment and disillusionment. I want to tear down and start fresh from the ground up, biblically informed, so that we can build community correctly. Now, if you're not a Christian or you're a former Christian, this may be the one thing that actually has kept you from crossing that line of faith. This may be that one thing that has made you shy back and say, I, don't, I like Jesus, but I really don't want to be in the church. This could be the very thing. And I sympathize and I empathize because I understand that hurt happens. We all in this church have been wounded by our brothers and sisters in Christ, I would imagine, in one form or the other. But at the same time, I wonder if perhaps some of our expectations, our interpretation of what it's supposed to look like may have led to some of that woundedness. Don't get me wrong, people are mean. But how would you respond to those moments? So I'm glad you're here. This is, this is a message for the body of Christ. This is a message for the church. But maybe God has something for you today as well. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. I definitely have Colossians chapter 3 down in my Bible. I put this little marker there. As you turn, let me set up some background here. Paul writes to the church and uh, to the Colossian church to combat false teaching that devalued Christ's work. Paul wants believers to know that their, what their true standing in Christ is that they are being transformed in his image and the implications of that transformation on their life and on their relationships. This is why he writes in Colossians chapter 2, like the key verse that most of us know. If we know anything in Colossians, well, there's probably a few that stand out more than the others. But this one, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This is kind of that theme verse as far as I'm concerned in Colossians. 
So in Colossians chapter 2, he talks about freedom from rules and this new life in Christ. And it goes into chapter 3, talking about a life in Christ. Let me read the very, before we read the text today, which is 10 through 17, let me read the first four verses, because it sets us up. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the reality of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. The very next verse, Paul says, so put to death the things that are earthly. It's very similar to that Ephesians passage, taking off the old and putting on the new. It's a very similar language. It's a parallel passage here. So he talks about it in verses 5 through 9, which we will not read. Putting to death the old self, your sinful attitudes and actions. But then the part that we will read, verses 10 through 17, he talks about putting on the new self. Paul uses putting on the new self, but he uses church context, relationships within the church, to flesh out this putting on the new self. Let's start in verse 10. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Now, Paul doesn't repeat himself here, but I'm going to repeat this. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be a holy people, he loves, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. The church says amen. Helen says amen. Amen. I, I was reading this, and Helen's amen in it. I'm like, and I could not, I don't even have to preach. We just read that. Let's just read that. You ready to close? I'm not. I have too much to say. I'm not going to beat that. I might just beat it to death. Okay, ready? So in verse 10, what we see here is that there's a new life that's being renewed in the image of Christ. You know, we talked about that taking off of the old, which we didn't read, but putting on the new self. That Jesus gives us a new life as he transforms us into his image. And it's through Christ's life in us, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, that we love one another. It's through Christ's life in and through us that we love one another. He doesn't just call us to his love. He calls us to love one another, but then he doesn't leave us alone to say, do your best. He dwells in us. He transforms us into his image that we may We needed his help, really. And then we see this church relationship being fleshed out in verses 11 through 17. The first part of verse 11, we see that there's a relationship that exists 
with earthly distinctions that Paul's saying it doesn't really matter. That these relationships don't matter anymore. The, the, that's the old way of thinking. That's the old self where we categorize and we, and we separate. But this new way of thinking, and he, he points out these several distinctions because these were distinctions that were taking place in the church in the first century. We have our own distinctions in the 21st century. We are 21st, right? Yeah. But think about the relation. As I read this list of what Paul says are the, the, the things that are distinctions, how do we dis- divide and dis- have distinctions within our own church in our own day? There's ethnic distinction. There's Gentiles versus Jews. There's religious distinction, those who are circumcised and the uncircumcised. There's cultural distinctions. Well, there's barbarians or un- actually, if you have a more dynamic or more formal equivalent translation, it says Scythian who were nomadic warriors from what is now known as Siberia, southern part of Siberia. But this version just says barbarian or uncivilized. They're both uncivilized. So this is not really a, a point of compare, contrasting, but just comparing. They're, they're, they're both in that same thing as categories. Or economic distinction, slave or free. Like I said, these come from the old way of thinking, but in, in this new way, this new self that we put on, we think differently. And that differently is, is, is fleshed out in the remainder of this verse. Let's look at the last half of verse 11 that I just repeated. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. We're no longer divided by ethnicity, religious background, culture, or economics. Christ is all that matters. Christ is the main thing for the Christian. Therefore, relationships within the church are centered on Christ more than any other factor. Christ is the most important factor when it comes to the community of faith being a community. Because the community that Christ has called us to is a community that is shaped by who we are in Christ, whose we are in Christ, and why we exist for Christ. Community happens as the believers are focused on Christ, which is contrary to how we normally think community happens. Normally we think community forms when there's relational chemistry, when there's similarities that are shared When we have things in common, which is the same thing as similarities that are shared, we normally think of community happening when we click with people. But here he's saying community happens when we focus on Christ. See, when we focus on the relational factors to bring a sense of community, we we may find a sense of community. There's a sense of community in, in, in the Kiwanis Club. They all share that in common. There's a sense of community in gangs. It's apart from Christ, but there's a sense of community. But those are relational things that bring community. He's saying in the church it's different. It's not because we have relational chemistry necessarily. Don't get me wrong. This whole idea of community, relationships are huge, hugely important. Relationships in the community of faith are God's ideas. He uses relationships to form us. Similar to my mar- when I mentioned marriage, I- I stole this quote, but I don't even know who I stole it from. And I'm not even quoting it right, so technically I don't have to give credit if I'm butchering it. But God gives us relationships, and the quote is actually God gives us our spouse, not, to make, not so much to make us happy, but to make us holy. The same thing is true in the church. Relationships cannot be the center of our community. It is part of our community but not the center. 
One, one pastor wrote this, true community is never found by looking for it. It can only be found by pursuing Christ. If there's one point I'd like for you to get from this whole message, it's this. We experience community, or we are in community, not because we chose each other, but because Christ chose us and placed us together. We live in a day and age a very individualistic in a culture, in a society, a very individualistic faith where we are consumers of religious experiences or communities of faith. How would it change the way we go about navigating some of the messy stuff, some of the less than desirable parts of church life when we're convinced that God chose us and put it together? Because if we don't realize that or recognize that, then it's easy to just go find the next place. It's easy to move on. And quite honestly, in 2019 in North America, it's very easy to move on and not stay with it. I'm going to illustrate something here, um, and I'm going to ask for, can I get some young people to help me out? Please? Yeah, yeah, Brenda's like, yeah, bring it on, all right. Can I get, I'll just take five of you guys right here. Cam, Cam you're welcome. I was going to pick you too, but, uh, but you kind of looked at me earlier when, and said no. So, yeah, come here, stand right here real quick. Now, I want you to, I want you to form a circle and like interlock your, like, like this. Can you interlock your arms? But Circle. It's America's youth right there. No, I'm just kidding. So, now, now check this out. Here is a circle to illustrate relational-centered community. Relationship-centered community. This right here, they've all chosen one another. They like one another. They're looking at one another. They're spending a lot of time looking at one another. But what happens is, if this is the picture of the church, it's very insider-focused. If I'm a guest, it's hard to kind of figure out, because they already have relationship I feel like I'm going to be, like nobody wants to crash someone's family reunion, right? It's a beautiful picture if you're in the circle, but for somebody who maybe God is sending to that circle, it feels like all their backs are turned to me. Quite honestly, this, this, this model invites drama. It invites offense because they're spending a lot of time. They could smell each other's breath. The health of this community depends on these flawed people and their ability to get along. And an outsider might brush up that chemistry so they don't feel necessarily welcomed, nor do they necessarily feel like they should welcome because they're going to mess up our vibe. And the good thing, the, the thing about this model is you can take Christ out of this thing, and as long as they're still getting along, they can still experience community. Now do me a favor. I want you to turn around and lock your arms. I think this is a better description of what the church could look like with Christ at the center, each one looking out to the world that God has called us to be a part of. There's an outward focus, but yet there's a connection with one another, locked arm in arm, looking out to the harvest to where God has called us to, to work and to be. And Paul unpacks this. Now, this is the picture of what I would say is an adopted family. This idea that we are, we are community not because God chose us, not because we chose each other, but God chose us and put us together is, is like an adopted family. 
family that's brought together. They look differently, they act differently, they come from different places, but it's the love of the father and the mother to adopt and create this family. This is what this looks like. With Christ in the center, we are in community, not because we chose each other, but Christ chose us and put us together. And Paul unpacks this as we keep reading. Thank you. Can you give it up for these young people illustrating this? Paul unpacks this as we move further in this passage of Scripture. Listen to this. Verse 12. He says, and verse 12 deals with who we are to be as a result of this transformation that, that Paul is over the arching um, subject matter of Paul's letter. But there's a new self. So in your new self, clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Be responsible for who you are and how God is transforming and making you. That's part of the new self. And then you take that person, tender-hearted, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and you put them in the context of community of faith, which is what he's about to address on how we should act with one another. And he says this, verses 13 through 15, Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Clothe yourself with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, because we are called to live at peace. That's the beautiful picture that I see when I hear Jesus saying, love one another. And I know we bring our faults to it. But it's Christ's life in us that allows us to, to do those, to be those things, and then to do those things toward that picture of community. And as we already said, this thing is messy. But that's okay. Because you need some mess. Because grace cannot be extended unless there's some offense for which you can extend grace. Forgiveness can only be extended when something needs to be forgiven. See, we like this picture, but then we had this opportunity to do what God tells us to do, extend grace, show forgiveness, and we're like, well, they should have acted like Christians. You act like a Christian and extend grace and forgiveness. Love can only be a choice that we make in relationship with one another when we have a choice not to love. We have a choice to ignore. We have a choice to take revenge. And peace isn't really an option unless there isn't possibility and potential for conflict. One preacher said this, relationships are deeper and richer when our ultimate confidence is in Christ and not one another. When you live as other people, when you live as if other people can meet all your needs, you'll be regarded you'll be regularly disappointed. You're asking them to do something no person can ever do. Give you the happiness that you so desperately want. But when Christ is your confidence. Someone is freed to be your friend, not the God you rely on to meet all of your needs. I recognize not everyone in this room senses great community or some community, or maybe we're, we're, we're struggling with trying to shift our expectations, trying to figure out where Jerome's going. If that's you today, let me give you a couple of steps, and each one of us, these steps apply. The first thing would be this. Pray for your church. We are in community, not because we chose each other, but God chose us and brought us together. Pray for your church. Pray for us. If this is not your home church, pray for whatever church that is. Pray that we would grow in this area. We have growing to do. There is things that we're going to do. Churches do fall short. No church is perfect. We will fall. Radiant will fall short. 
reign is not perfect. We are working some things out, and we need your prayer in this new season. Pray that we as a church would be so filled as individuals with Christ's love that it would overflow into these personal relationships within the church. The second thing is to find comfort in Christ. Jesus understands loneliness better than we do. We're supposed to be like Jesus, but we don't want to be like Jesus in that respect, do we? He was deserted by his closest friends. He hung alone on the cross. He bared the shame of sins that were not his own. He knows what it's like to be ignored, abandoned, and overlooked. Fallen humans are disappointing. And only Jesus is perfectly fulfilling. So look to Christ to be your sufficiency. The next thing is this. Examine yourself. And this one's, I'm stepping on toes now. I'll close my eyes and let you leave right now if you want. Time's up. Examine yourself. Examine your patterns of behavior and your expectations. Are your patterns of behavior the obstacles that prevent you from experiencing community as you desire? Does your choices limit your work schedule, become the excuse of why you don't have the face time with those in the church who, who God's called and given us, given you to help you grow and mature? Are your hobbies, activities, priorities taking up all your time and energy where you just have nothing left for God's people? Perhaps you've kept others at arm's length for whatever reason, refusing to let people really get to know you. What can you do to make a greater effort to create community that you want to see? And then examine your expectations. Are they unrealistic? Is it Barney singing that song? Are your expectations so unrealistic that you don't even recognize the community that you do have? I have, a, I have a, the next slide is going to have a picture of three buckets, and this is, some of you have heard this before. Maybe you've all heard this before, but this is kind of my idea of what a healthy belonging looks like. We all have buckets. We all live in, in different spaces. There's a public belonging, there's, there's social belong, space, and there's a, a personal space. And each bucket represents those spaces, but each bucket, well, these buckets are empty. This person needs to go to church, needs to make a friend needs to walk across the street and meet somebody. But, so these are, these are the three areas we live our life in, right? And there's an intimate space, but we'll leave that for spouses. But if you think of these three buckets of needing something to fill that bucket, I think there's a healthy way to do it. Now, go to the next slide. This illustrates where somebody who knows everybody in the church, I know everyone's name, I kind of know something about them, but I really don't have a friend. I really don't really know anyone at a level that's beyond just very, very, very surface, but I know everybody. I know people who go to church, not this church, who have complained that they don't feel like they belong in the church, even though they know everybody, because they've not allowed themselves to be known or get to know anyone beyond this surface level. You do need to know people publicly. This is like if I go to a, a sports game, and, and I'm going to high-five everybody who's wearing the same colored shirt and, you know, my people who are cheering for my team, I'm going to high-five them. We belong together. We're gathered together for a purpose. I don't even know who they are, but I feel like we belong together. These are my people. On Sunday morning, we're gathered here. We don't have time for deep conversations, but these are our people. We're gathered to worship. We're gathered on a mission together. The next slide is this, kind of the other side of things. This is like going to a restaurant with your friends. That's not your community. I have really good friends, 
I know people who've gone to church who say, I have really good friends here, but I don't really know anybody else, and they feel like, I don't belong in this church either. And the next slide, I think, is the healthy way to do this, and what happens very often is we tend to lean towards these two extremes, but I think if we can really, we only have, really, to be honest with you, these buckets should be scaled smaller. They should be full, but they should be smaller. Because we only have so much capacity for personal relationships. We only have so much capacity for that social space, which is more neighborly relationships. They're not necessarily friends, but they're like pre-friends. They could be friends, but all my friend slots are full. And I believe if you really, and these, the levels vary in these buckets, but I think this is a picture of a healthy sense of belonging in a church or anything. That I know everybody, not everybody, but I know plenty of people. I can walk through the halls and greet people. And then there's a couple people that I, I know pretty well. We're neighbors, but we're not doing Thanksgiving together. And there are some really close friends. We can't program friendships in this church, but we can create opportunity for that social bucket. And we're going to talk about some of those steps to get connected. But proportionately, if you, if you say that the green bucket is... I have two close friends. You probably need four social friends and eight. I mean, really, you do need acquaintances and you do need neighbors for belonging, not just a close friend. Remember that email that I got from that couple? We love you and your wife, but we don't know anybody else. We think it's time to go. So in the spirit of this, there's a few things we'd like to do this year. And I would encourage you. Now, let me just say this. This is not for everyone, but I'd encourage you to join a small group. Or join us a ministry team. It's through small groups and ministry teams where we actually work side by side with people and perhaps relationships develop to become friendships. But that definitely helps us get to fill each of those buckets, does it not? You get to learn some acquaintances, which are important. They really are. Some neighborly relationships and some friendships. I'm convinced that small groups is not the one all answer for every church, it's not the magic bullet, it's not for everybody but it's a really, really good way to connect. So at this time, I'd like to introduce um, the person I've asked to lead up our small groups. Jordan V is going to come and share just for a few moments as we, as we send off in that direction. Where's Jordan? Come on down. Do you need a mic? Well, are you guys excited? Yeah, this is going to be fun. I'm really excited just hearing the sermon and uh, thinking about all of the things that are going to happen this year through these life-giving relationships. I wanted to share a little bit about uh, a group of people that's it's recorded. It's a testimony of what happened in their lives when they decided that we've heard this gospel news and now we've got to do something about it. So they started living in these relationships uh, and it's in Acts 2, starting at verse 42. It's the fellowship of these believers. Uh, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All that believed were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily to those who were being saved. That's really, really exciting. That's a cultural moment that was pivotal in the church. And I believe that when, when we're living a life where people are coming to Christ and they're being given life from the source, they're excited 
about living in relationship. And so small groups are, are just one way that we want to help facilitate those life-giving relationships. And so with all things, we want our, life, our, our small groups to be uh, centered on Christ. They're not centered around a leader. They're not centered around ourselves. Because really, they can't be life-giving if they're centered on a person. Like Pastor Jerome said, each person only has a certain amount of capacity. But the source is an overflowing spring that has more than enough for all. And so we want our, our small groups to be centered on Christ, uh, but filled with people that are going to walk alongside you. They're going to pray for you. They're going to encourage you. They're going to tear down some of those fortitudes in your heart, maybe. Some of those things that you've built up that you're, you're saying, uh, no one can come into this space. Those people could, could stand there with you and say, we're going to humble ourselves before Christ, and we're just going to we're going to encourage you. We're going to pray for you. Those people will keep you accountable. And I know that sounds, oh, that sounds scary. Like that's a group of people that are going to know way too much about me. It doesn't start there. It doesn't have to start there. It can start and be very much acquaintances. It can be just people that are around. It doesn't have to be, uh, we're going straight for the deep stuff right away. And then our small groups are going to be semester-based going forward. So we're going to do uh, 10-week semesters. And so the reason we're doing that is because we don't want small group leaders and people attending small groups to feel trapped forever. Like, I, if I do a small group, I guess I'm going to be leading a small group for the rest of my life. That's the last thing people want to commit to because life comes in seasons. It changes. You can't always be doing the same thing. Sometimes you're going you're gonna to need to do something else. Or maybe, maybe a small group leader says, you know what, right now in this season, I'm going to have to step down. Uh, but I'm going to join another small group and, and engage in some new relationships, meet some new people, get lifted up in a new way. Um, and so we just always want it to be that way. And we, we know that your small group isn't going to be your best friends, maybe not right away. But we know that through small groups, you can identify and find some of your best friends, the people that you're going to live your life with all the time. Like they're the people you're going to call on, the people that you're going to say, hey, I want to, could we grab breakfast or could, could we grab lunch? I just really need to talk with someone right now. And so we believe that through these small groups, it's going to facilitate those kind of relationships. But the small groups is just the beginning of it. And so as you go through them, you're going to identify people that you're like, that guy's my best friend. I want to hang out with him. And we want, we want our small groups to be the thing that you feel like God has called you to do. To do. Not like if, if you're not a person that's all about prayer, don't join the 5 a.m. prayer walk through Westfield small group because that's probably not going to be a good fit for you. Uh, but maybe you love coffee and you'd love to read the Bible with other people who love coffee. That's what I'm going to do for my small group. It's like, let's drink coffee and read the Bible and let's talk about life. Uh, the 5 a.m. thing, it's, I don't think that's for me. But I would love prayer groups. That's a, that would be an amazing thing to have. But we want to just make sure that you get into the right spot, that you're doing the thing that gives you life, the thing that uh, you're like, I'm so excited to get to small group. I want to testify about what's going on in my life, or I want to share, or I, w- I just want to follow up with that person and, and see how they're doing. And then the last thing that I, I want to highlight is that we want small groups to equip a new generation of leaders. There are people in this church that haven't taken a step of faith and saying, you know what? There's something that God has called me to do just because there wasn't the avenue to do it yet. And so we believe that in small groups, we're going to be able to identify people small group leaders specifically will be able to identify people in within their own small group and say, you know what, you would be, this is like uh, the perfect ministry team for you. Like, it seems like your heart is all about this. And so uh, we would love to get you plugged in. And this might be just the avenue to do it through. Um, also, small group leaders identifying the next generation of small group leaders. That's a big thing. As we continue to grow our small group program, as we continue to grow out I mean, it would be amazing in a couple years that 
we have 40, 50 small groups of people that are inviting people to church, inviting people to their small group. Because so often those small groups can start as kind of the entrance for people into church. They might not come directly into church, but if you can get them to, hey, join my small group. It's going to be, it's really low stakes. We're just going to hang out, drink some coffee. We're going to talk about the Bible. We're going to read a little bit and just hang out. People will do that. People will, will come if you invite them. Uh, they'll show up. They'll be like, you know what? I'm a little bit more curious about this thing and why you guys even go to church on a Sunday morning. And then they'll show up, and then their life has changed forever just from a simple invitation. So some more logistical stuff. Um, we're building out a small group directory right now. We're, we're building registrations for people to be able to say, I want to lead a small group. And we're going to actually be having a meeting on February 2nd. So if you want to jot that down, oh, yeah, we got a slide for it. February 2nd, after service, we're going to have a small group meeting. That's for those who are interested in leading a small group, but also those who are just like, tell me more about small groups. What's, what's it going to look like? You might meet someone that you're like, let's co-lead a small group together. Or, hey, I have a house that I would love to host people in, but I don't want to lead a group. This is going to be a great way to make some connections. So it's going to be February 2nd. We're going to go through, and I'll show you what the registrations look like, through what our directory is going to look like. It's going to be just a great basis to get some information, get some questions answered if you have some, uh, and do some, some short training on maybe some ways to set up small groups. So I'm so excited. It's going to be a great season in the church, and it's going to be great. Absolutely. Thanks. Thank you, Jordan. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Give it up for you. Let me just close on this. The band's going to come at this point, but this is, the, this is one that I'm going to throw out there as far as the final step in terms of community. I'd encourage, I'd encourage you, if you're not a member of this church, to become a member. Now, I know that there is objections to membership. Some people think like we're just copying our American culture, but I would almost submit that it's our American culture that makes us push back on the idea of membership. What, what, what is the biblical basis for membership in, in a church? There's, there's a number of things. Paul talks about church discipline, that you have to kick a brother out because of their sin, but how do you kick somebody out if they're never in? I mean, there's, I could go on and I'm, I'm just, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time making the case, but I'm happy to sit with you and talk about membership. Some people would object that it's, it seems meaningless at, at best, but political at worst. But I would submit that membership is about commitment to community. We're not intended to be consumeristic free agents a commitment to community in the good and the bad and the mess and in the good times. A commitment to a local community of faith is for your protection, your maturity, and your ministry to others and their maturity. By becoming a member of a church, this church, if you are not a member, I would say you're making a couple statements. You're saying, this is my church. Yeah, regular attendance shows commitment, but something happens in us when we stand up in front of God and all these people and say, I'm committed to this community. It's the difference between cohabitation and marriage. By becoming a member, you're saying we are committed to supporting one another. I will bear others' concerns and their needs and they will bear mine. It was an example of Lorena in this church, actually. By becoming a member, you're saying, I trust in this community to help me grow. Being a Christian is not about my personal Bible study and personal prayer. We, have, we grow in the context of community. It's about opening up our lives. 
opening up our lives to spiritually mature people who would encourage us and challenge us and empower us towards growth. So um, the next slide, it just kind of shows you we do have a membership class scheduled. If you text member to that number, same number, you should memorize this number. Amy Parker has it memorized. You'll get a response back and we will be in touch with more information on this membership class. Would you make the commitment and say, I'm committed to this community. I'm part of this community, not because I chose these people, but because God chose me and brought me together with these people. I have a six-minute video that we're not going to close on. I'll save it for another day. It's a ringer kind of video. You would be weeping. But I feel like we should just stand in worship and response to the Lord at this time. The song that we sing, the chorus says, it's your breath in our lungs. Isn't that what Paul says? It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And my relationships with the church comes when he is the center of the church. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me.